Welcome to the Love is Viral show. I'm your host, Jeanette Schneider, the founder and CEO of Live Media and the creator of the Live Pocket Coach on the Apple App Store. Our premise at Live is simple. A healthier you today leads to a healthier world tomorrow. Our guests include neuroscientists, therapists, professors, coaches, authors, yogis, speakers, entrepreneurs, and those who believe that a bigger, better life can be found at the intersection of mindfulness and science. Join me as we nerd out with a little bit of soul. The Love is Viral show is a live media production. Molly Woodhull believes wellness should live in the workplace. She combines her passion for wellness and her desire for lifelong learning to bring a unique wholeness experience to corporations. As a yoga teacher, meditation guide, and wilderness immersion expert, Molly boasts a dynamic understanding of wellness. In this episode, we discuss the intersection of mindfulness and neurobiology, the value of starting with one breath when meditation seems overwhelming, why corporations should invest in wellness programs, why the grind isn't all it's cracked up to be, as well as the way the world would look if we got a hold of it. Since the beginning of her wellness practice, Molly has received a Bachelor's of Science from the University of Denver, teacher certification from Duke University, the Center from Koru Mindfulness, mindfulness-based stress reduction training, compassion and cultivation training from Stanford University, and a YNG iLab innovation and disruption from Harvard University. Let's dig in. Hi, this is Jeanette Schneider, and I have with me today Molly Woodhull. Thank you for joining Thank you for having me. I'm so glad that you're able to to be on the show with me today. And I know that we're both at home because we're in the middle of our own little self-imposed quarantines because of of what's going on in the world, which I think makes our topic even more important. Um, You and I have talked about the fact that we believe that wellness and corporate America should marry each other and that wellness really does belong in the workplace. And I kind of love that we get to have this conversation because maybe we can spark some ideas for those people who are listening or watching, who are going back to their places of employment, who are rethinking the way that they do business, or who even want to take some tips and tricks back with them to help them be more effective um, and more mindful in, in corporate America. So I'm curious, straight off the bat, why do you feel so strongly that these two places need to intersect? I think that's a good question. So here's here's what I think. We spend a lot of our lives at work. Mm. And the reality is, is that we communicate and have conversations and make big decisions within our work environments all the time. And we can't expect to be just... Uh, going a million miles an hour, not really clear-headed at all, our nervous system going at 100% freaking out. You know, you can't really expect to be a good leader, an effective communicator, or, you know, a productive part of an organization. And so I think where we can start to this, we can incorporate all the new kinds of um uh, research and all this good, all the good stats and data into a corporate environment very naturally. And we can start to teach the ideas of mindfulness and meditation, developing boundaries, becoming better, more efficient communicators, utilizing mindfulness and meditation with these awesome new stats and data to help back us up. Um, so I think 
there are many reasons why we should start to incorporate meditation and mindfulness into the workplace. How, when you do engage with an organization and they want you to come in, how does it start? Does it really have to be from the top down or do you do, or do you request that? Do they typically, are they like, well, we need our employees to feel more productive and whatever. So we're doing this. And like, how does that conversation flow where it becomes more of a, a culture change? Sure. That it, it varies between organizations, but I will say the, the companies that I work with where, you know, everybody in the company is interested and integrated into the wellness programming. Those are the organizations that truly feel like wellness is a priority. And so when I often talk to an organization, I do teach every level from top to, you know, wherever. Um, And so I'd say in situations where the CEO and the CFO, they're participating, it's a much more effective uh, program. But, you know, there are also a lot of companies that have uh, people who are, you know, HR or even um, wellness directors. And those are the people that I'm communicating with. And those are the people who are creating wellness within the organization. Um, and and when you have an organization with that kind of person, it's obvious that they're spending time on incorporating different kinds of wellness um, into the organization. So, it looks kind of different each time. Yeah. I, I was talking to an, uh, a neuroscientist one time who became the chief wellness officer of a large Fortune 500 company. I'm like, that's amazing because like you're actually creating the enti- the environment that you want to work and play within. And I'm sure that they probably have better employee retention. Um but I know that like you and I've talked before about like, you actually have to introduce them to a new language. So what does that look like? Is that something where you're like, okay, your vocabulary word for the day is, um, to start bringing them over to where it makes sense in their conversations. Totally. So two things I want to hop on. One is that, that neuroscientist who's moving from, you know, medicine into managing culture. I think that's super interesting. And I work with a lot of hospitals and, within those hospitals, I teach neurosurgeons and neuroscientists and all these people. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting, the conversations that we'll have, because, you know, they'll express, I understand the mind and the brain in one way, but it's very different than the way that maybe I understand it. And if we both work together, we can help um, people really have a better understanding of their own mental and emotional status. You know, the way, the way their brain um, is ta- is naturally functions. And so it was really cool. We, we sort of talked about developing a program within the hospital um, for, for people who have brain surgeries to help, um, help them heal. So utilizing that. mindfulness and meditation. So it's pretty cool. I love that. And I, well, I think that's the thing that I'm nerding out on right now is the intersection of mindfulness and neurobiology, right? Where, and, and this is, I think, so many people want to consider it, oh, I'm either logical or I'm woo, right? I believe in science. Right. I'm not into spirituality. And I'm like, I think that we've come to a place finally where we start to realize that these ex- coexist, right? Because of the fact that you're a logical person, you can't turn away from the data and, and all of the, the research that's been done to say that these are extremely valuable practices, but it isn't because you're just going to feel one with your higher power. Um, right. You could, and that's fantastic. That could be the great gateway to your faith. But 
Um, I love the fact that there's science backing up saying, you know, we're actually playing with different aspects of your brain chemistry, right? We're tapping in or using certain words or gratitude statements or practices that are actually signaling parts of your brain. Hey, let's move out of fight or flight. Hey, let's move into this space. And the practices are relatively simple when you, I think, commit to them, Simple, right? but not easy. Yeah. Right. And I was, I always love like in my yoga classes, they're like, it's called a practice for a reason. Like you never get it a hundred percent. No one is supposed to. Um, and that actually leads me to another conversation that I want to have with you too, which is kind of like, as you move into mindfulness, sometimes we feel like we got it. Like I got it. I've arrived. I am now up here. I now yeah. under, I have these practices. I understand the world better because I understand myself better. But then right. you find that there's a new level or there's there's a new way of approaching yourself, especially if you have a triggering situation or you go through a pandemic or there's something that happens right. in the world that kind of knocks you off. There's a lot of people right now who are saying, um, because of what's happening, I'm having a hard time meditating. Um, right. They're having a hard time really getting their wits about them. And the last three coaching clients I talked to this week all said, um, I am so depressed and anxious over what's happening and all of the uncertainty that I can't right. meditate. So what would you say to people who are, who, who str- struggle in that area? Sure. I would say I hear you and it is super hard right now. And there's a lot of heaviness and we will always find a reason to make our meditation practice difficult because it just is hard. Mm. You have to start somewhere. And, and that doesn't have to be sitting down on your meditation cushion or on the couch and trying to meditate for 20 minutes. Maybe we start to just develop a conversation around what our breath is. Mm-hmm. Maybe we start to just do micro meditations, right? So one deep, thoughtful breath drawing that belly breath all the way down, feeling a sense of fullness and then exhaling. And just doing one, bringing that oxygen into our brain and into our body and starting to feel the effects of meditation and mindfulness in a way that feels not overwhelming at all, but empowering and uplifting. Mm -hmm. And I think, so as we find maybe a less... um, a less overwhelming place to start, maybe just with one breath, developing a conversation, becoming more aware of our mind, then we can slowly start to incorporate a meditation practice into our lives in a way that feels meaningful and realistic for us as individuals. I love that because I think in my experience with meditation, Um, it's changed depending on where I am in my life, right? It started on a yoga mat doing hatha and breath work and just kind of paying attention to where it was. And then as I moved into like a a flow, I got into ujjayi breathing, right? And it's amazing how paying attention to your breath, you can't really pay attention to anything else. It's really like fascinating. So I love, again, with that yogic kind of community, it's go back to the breath pay attention to your breath because you don't have the ability. But then as I moved on, I got into other types of meditation, right? right. And um, I did transcendental for a while, which was a game changer, but it's also sometimes hard 
to go back to because it's 20 minutes one part of the day, 20 minutes another part of the day. And so I got to, and then I got into binaural beats and doing meditation with binaural beats. And so I think the invitation is however it looks for you and you can even be playful with it. I think that we have a tendency as human beings to be like, but I have to get it right. And one of the things I loved is, is the idea that it doesn't matter the quality of your meditation when you're in meditation, it's a quality of your life between your meditations. One million percent. Also, failure is success in meditation. We have to remember that. Our mind is meant to wander. It is It is meant to do that. We will never eliminate all thought from our brain and be like completely clear. That's not what we're striving for. And so also knowing that deeply and trusting in that idea that whatever we choose to focus on, whether it's, um, you know, a breath or a sensation, a sound, some kind of mantra, our brain will wander, we'll let it fall away. And then when we notice it wandering, we'll bring our awareness back with a sense of kindness and compassion. Mm -hmm. And this practice helps us from a physiological perspective, be more familiar with that feeling of love and kindness and compassion towards ourselves. And now we can start to bring that sense of kindness and love into our relationships, into our everyday life into the conversations that we have in our own mind without even knowing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, it's all about those spaces between our meditations. And, you know, I could go on about that forever. And in my head, I think about, then that makes me go think to, about loving kindness meditation and, and breathing into this idea of sending love and kindness and compassion to yourself and to those around you. Mm-hmm. And it also makes me think about the ideas of non-attachment, which I think are really important during this time because a lot of people are counting the days. They're like, okay, I've been in quarantine 38 days or whatever it might be. Right. And they're like, this is super hard and there's so much uncertainty. But something that meditation can teach us is that we don't always have to have all the answers. We can, uh, and we don't have to hold so tightly onto our expectations. Mm-hmm or the outcomes. That doesn't mean that we don't have to have goals or want to look forward towards the future. We can. It's just that um, instead of our happiness being dependent upon the desired outcome that we've created in our brain, we allow the moment to unfold. And um, I think just being able to do that could alleviate a lot of stress and anxiety during this time. I love that. I'm, I'm dealing with that right now, right? Because we have the tendency, I think goals are important and setting intentions are important. But one of the things that I've had to realize through the course of all of this is that your goals are self-imposed, right? And I feel like we've been programmed through the course of time, especially in kind of like the patriarchal, um, and I'm not saying that negatively, but it's more masculine way of looking at performance it's very linear. It's a performance review. It's, did you get this done? If you didn't, you're like lazy or you're fit. Like we have all these words to judge ourselves if we don't get things done. And one of the things I've had to realize because so much of my business is I'm kind of like, okay, pivot, pivot, pivot. Like the goals that I had that I'm so upset that I didn't reach because I'm, you know, a goal setter. I'm a goal getter, you know, all those, those hashtags or whatever. Um, they were self-imposed. The timelines I put on myself were self-imposed. All of these things were self-imposed. And it's when I have a goal out there 
and work towards it, but allow it to flex and change and move as it wants to or as new opportunities arise or as I have to learn resilience through hard times, um, there's a lot more acceptance and self-compassion there than there is the judgment when you haven't hit the goal exactly on the mark. Um, and I understand why we do it in like the corporate framework. I get that we need to have measurements in order to manage business. And I can get on this whole tangent about is that really effective in the long run? Because we're managing business according to typically what a shareholder wants or what our numbers look like. And there has to be continual growth year after year, but we're not managing it on the wellness and health of the employees. And what I think we're seeing during this period of time is we can trust our employees. Mm. We can trust our people. They can work from home. And if we show them love and support and provide them with wellness opportunities and understand their family situations a little bit better, they they perform, they show up, they do their job because now they feel like they're taken care of, respected, and they become loyal. And I just, I think it's like a really interesting place to play in right now. Like, I'm so curious, like if we could blue sky it and be like, okay, like every CEO is going to listen to this conversation and they're going to walk back into the workplace as they're hiring their employees. What would like panacea look like for you? Like, what would it be if we could have whatever we wanted right now? Well, first, I think I want to hit on this idea that you mentioned that you're you're constantly pivoting in your mm-hmm. business and that you have these goals, you want to achieve them, but sometimes you don't achieve them exactly like you had expected. Same as any other successful entrepreneur. That is what it means to be a leader, to be a business owner. That is what it means to be in a successful business. You're always pivoting. And so I think taking a moment to reflect upon that idea and what that looks like in your life um, as a, as the leader of an organization and knowing that you set goals for yourself, but you realize that they evolve and they change. And maybe you don't hit that goal exactly like you thought you would, but maybe you pivoted instead and made a better decision. Taking a moment to reflect upon those practices that you have so, and then looking back at your organization and realizing that the people who are working there for you and with you also experience those pivots. Mm-hmm. And while we need to have guidelines in terms of, you know, hopefully connect with this many clients, acquire this many clients a month or whatever it might be, um, bringing in space for um, creativity and um sort of accepting our employees in a way that's more dynamic than just hitting the numbers. Yeah. And that's a, and that leads me into self-care. I would love for all organizations to develop um, some kind of mindfulness and meditation programming within their organization. Twofold. One, people need to be cared for. They want to feel cared for. The, the amount of, um, th- there's long-term impact in simply providing your employees a space to work within where they genuinely feel cared for, mm-hmm. not just because you think you should, but because you actually believe in supporting your employees. And the second thing I want to say is, according to Harvard Business Review, this stat's really interesting. of our waking lives, our minds are wandering, not on the task at hand, Mm -hmm. 47%. So 
So that means almost 50% of our waking lives as adults, our minds are ruminating about the past, fretting about the future, and not present in the moment. So how can we be effective employees and leaders and communicators when most of the time our subconscious is thinking about something else? Today, Gold is brought to you by Live Media and the Live Pocket Coach, available on the Apple App Store now. Not only is Live Like a Life Coach in your pocket, but we have coaches in 3D as well. With our most recent upgrade, you can sign up for one-on-one coaching with a person on the phone who will hold you down, hold you accountable, and offer you perspective as you build your big, bad, beautiful new life. Apple users can sign up for our Premium Plus plan through the app or check out our next level and mastery options at loveisviral.com forward slash coaching. Android users, we haven't forgotten about you. Live Coaching is available to you as well. Just reach out to us at dearlive at loveisviral.com and we'll fill you in on all the ways Live can create with you. Live Pocket Coach, welcome to your life. Um, so from a productivity standpoint, I think it's important for organizations to start realizing that it's not woo-woo mm-hmm. and that meditation and mindfulness teaches our brain how to become, it physiologically changes our brain to be better at, just like you were saying, responding in times of hardship, becoming more resilient. We become more clear and honest communicators, better at being efficient within our workplace. So it's just, it goes on and on and on. But I'd love to teach all those companies that <laughs> you're like, I'm in. to <laughs> incorporate new meditation. Yeah. Also, oh, I could keep going on. No, on tell me. Go I want to say that we can be proactive. So a lot of businesses and organizations have been coming to me in this time and saying, I, we need to support our employees. And I commend them for that because they could be living in fear and not being able to look forward Um, in terms of being able to care for employees. And I realize every business is different. Mm -hmm. So I'm thankful that they're diving in now. And you can also develop a wellness program, a mindfulness meditation course series for your employees now to help them develop these tools so that if any other kind of adversity that we 100% could not have known turn out this way, um, comes along, which it will, because that is life, that they feel already equipped instead of responding, you know, with fear, you know, they're able to thoughtfully sort of navigate themselves through the hardship. Mm, I love that. I love that because I think it's, it's so, it's like almost like skill, it's training, right? Like you have a budget every year for training your employees and maybe this needs to be part of the budget every year rather than just telling them like, here's how to cross sell and here's like this new product, um, maybe a portion of it. And I, I totally appreciate like why we do like the the disc reviews and we look at archetypes and personality types and stuff like that. So they understand how to talk to one another, but that doesn't necessarily teach them how to to, I don't even want to use the word cope because I don't feel like it's coping, but just kind of manage themselves and manage their day in just a very conscientious 
you know, frame of mind, a very conscious way of relating to one another. I think mm-hmm. that mindfulness and meditation, like I've personally experienced such support from it because I've struggled with anxiety for so long. Right. And, you know, a few years ago I was in a doctor's office with EKG wires and all that stuff. And they were checking me out. I thought I was having a heart attack and they're like, do you meditate? I'm like, I've gotten away from it. And they're like, you're going to need to do that again. And I was like, yeah. yes, I know. Um, and I think, I think it's helped, you know, my relationships. It's helped the way that I interact with people. So if a company were to look at their employee as someone that they're investing in over time and provide them, there's also that ripple effect, right? They take it back to their home. They take it back to their families. They take it into their parenting when they're dealing with their children and teaching them. So it's like, it's, and I know that this might not be a popular sentiment, but because of my background, I also recognize how influential corporations are in our so our social structure through yeah. our economy, through our, like, because you follow the money, right? Wherever yeah. the money goes and you watch how it affects different areas and different um, global situations. And I'm like, I, I just wish that sometimes they would just wrap their arms around it and harness that and say, wow, we have a lot of power. 100%. And not even just for our employees, but generationally. Like if we could teach these things to our employees, not only would we have loyalty, but it's going to affect their families as well. You've hit the nail on the head for me. It's amazing that you say that because that's one of the reasons that I started working with organizations. I do one-on-one coaching and I do fun things in the community, but my goal was to develop meaningful, realistic, accessible programs for people within organizations to learn about meditation and mindfulness, develop a toolkit that they can take with them to actually help them manage their lives both at work and at home. Mm-hmm. Because people and organizations in these large corporations make a huge impact on our society. There are thousands of employees. They're providing products for people all over the world or services. You're so, so right. Mm-hmm. The impact, the positive long-term impact that can that can be provided um, through mindfulness and meditation coaching and, and providing wellness to employees is huge, huge. Uh, and I think that this is becoming less of a conversation that I have to prove. Yeah. You know, as, as I continue moving forward in my career, I find people... They get it now. They're seeing it. Maybe because some of those brave companies in the very beginning started invested in something that felt a little bit new or rogue or weird or woo-woo or whatever. Um, But now it's definitely becoming more a part of the conversation. I also find that especially millennial CEOs and executive, not necessarily baby boomers, not some Gen X, but more of the millennial executives that we see in their late thirties right now are into this, right? Like this is part of their success story. They have rituals and routines and they meditate and they are, they, they get away from the office and are very mindful in different situations because they realize that they can kind of almost like hack their brains. They can create better performance and have a better just life happiness scale if they incorporate these. So that also excites me. Like if you're looking at the millennial population, I like, I remember when I was in corporate, we used to have studies about the millennials, this, the millennials. And I'm like, I love millennials because I think that they're going to come into these leadership roles from a very different point of view. You know, they're, they're not going to necessarily adapt or adopt, I should say, the same kind of framework that their predecessors did. Totally. 
And um, when I think about that, it makes me think about, um, you said, ritual and routine. I also want to say boundaries. You know, we it's really cool to be efficient in our workplace. It's super cool to get a lot of stuff done. But you have to develop, you have to create a sense of awareness for yourself in terms of what is too much so that you can create boundaries around your work environment because when we don't do that, we burn out. I understand that the, you know, um, the desire behind working a ton and just like hustling, hustling, hustling is because we want to be successful. We want to make a big impact. Great. Awesome. But we, there are ways to now reframe that idea and still work hard and be productive in our workplace while also honoring ourselves and what our body, our heart, and our mind needs. That is a thing. There, that can be done. Right. It takes practice. It sure. takes effort. It's so funny. Yeah. We were talking about this before we got started, and like I'm coming back to it because that's one of the things that I recognized is like back in corporate America, it was a hustle, hustle, hustle grind, right? Like I remember putting Facebook posts up at the end of a long day where I traveled to multiple cities within like a short period of time was like 16 hours, rocking the heels, closing the deals, eating boys for breakfast. Like that was like my thing back in the day. And I would go on these like junket tours of different offices where I would be like San Francisco to New York, just like, and then I come back and I was like pounding my chest because I worked so hard. And I was miserable, right? Yeah. And then cut to, I bring in mindfulness practices. I'm really proud. But what this has taught me, this whole experience right now, is even the mindfulness practices and the time blocking that I was doing, I was creating a different type of stressor, right? I 100% believe in time blocking. I believe that we have to like kind of, okay, what are our priorities for the week? I believe in all of that. But what I had done is not also paid attention to myself. Like if I'm in a creative flow state, I can't time block that. I can't say, okay, I'll be creative for one hour and then I move to this. My creative flow state is me walking around with like, a half glazed over look on my face as I'm thinking, right? I'm writing when you're not writing, right? And so I kind of had to take a step back and say, like, I've packed my toolkit with all these mindfulness practices that actually were not harming me, but I had to realize, like, I was even taking them too seriously. I wasn't, do you know what I mean? I do, I do. No, it does make sense. I, I've been there. I just like you were saying, we we started talking. All of a sudden, we could just be on podcast, but of course, we had to say hello first. So, <laughs> um, going back to kind of what I began talking about before was, I hear that because I also found myself getting sort of, I don't know, numb to my practices. Like I, of course, my meditation practice is very interesting and very important and super good for me got to keep that, but, you know, intense time blocking and kind of just go, go, go. Um, I didn't realize how much I could slow down from where I was. I didn't, I'm not a slow, like, I'm not like a slow mover, you know, I'm a groover. I'm a, I'm a connector. I'm like, you know, I move quickly. You can also be that person while, while meditating and, and being mindful. Um, but I agree. And I think this, this, this pandemic, this worldwide crisis, while being very hard and very difficult and very heavy, has provided me the opportunity 
to find joy in my own home, mm-hmm. to bring space into like actually having time in my morning routine, you know, and um, I hope, I hope that I can continue to bring the lessons that I've learned throughout this time with me um, when the world begins to move faster again. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think about that often because I also think that there's a lot of opportunity for us to do life differently. And I don't know what that means. I don't think the answers are available because I think that the way that we have thought and the way we have solved and the way we have created has always matched a certain paradigm. And I think there's like a new paradigm starting to emerge that we haven't even considered yet. And I think that that's really, it fascinates me that the way we view work and the way we view family could change, you know, like you look at the way over the course of time, advertising and social media created a construct. Um, Advertising after the industrial revolution brought women back into the home. And it was like, there was a divide of gender. And a lot of these have been stories that we've been told in order to get people back to work and to be productive, to have like the industrial revolution was such a huge part of American history because it kind of created our wealth. But there was like soul loss to that. So now I'm curious, like, how do we continue moving forward and generating, do we need to be wealthy? And this is like one of the other things that I'm I'm kind of wrapping my arms around. I feel like sometimes we've used the word abundant, like I'm abundant, I'm successful. But the hallmarks of that have been consumerism. So are you actually abundant and successful because you read an ad, had an advertisement since the Industrial Revolution that told you that the more you consume, the more you have the hallmarks of success. Right. So are you actually like, and then you see these coaches who are like, be abundant. The universe wants you to be abundant. And then they've got like their private jet in their image or they've got oh, their yeah. yacht or their vacation. And I'm like, I don't think that's what that means. So I kind of feel like we're almost reimagining and creating new definitions definitions for the things that we thought were so important before. And I love that. I don't know where it's going to take us, but like, I just, I think it's fascinating. That me being a nerd. No, I love, it's wild to think how much our um, society and like consumerism and business all um, creates this framework that we live in. Mm -hmm. I think that that's totally fascinating. Like it determines what as a society becomes popular and interesting, what everybody wants, like how everybody wants to live. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking recently throughout this, um, throughout this time being at home, I haven't felt as much like fear of missing out. I felt Mm -hmm. a lot more contentment at home. And I love that feeling. It feels so good because being somebody who is, so social. I always want to be out and about and connecting with people. So I wonder how that will change, you know, as we move forward. And I so agree when you're saying how our community is going to change. Like, I wonder if spending time at home with family members is going to be become more important. Like if creating a space in your own home that feels good to you, a place that you want to be, if that will become, um, more widely accepted. Those would be great. Yeah. I was talking to a friend about this yesterday and I was like, I feel like we're going to move from this whole like, hey, do you guys want to meet for drinks? Let's go run out and do this because I'm happy for the people who are going out in the world, but nothing about wearing a mask while I'm trying to eat sounds like fun to me. Um, 
so I don't necessarily want to go to restaurants just yet. And that's not me being, it's just kind of like, it's just a reminder that this isn't right, you know? And so like for us, we're talking about, okay, but we have the opportunity to invite friends over and what's wrong with the potluck, right? Where you're like, yes, Hey, we're going to take care of this. You guys take care of that. And I think that's one of the things that's been really cool is the connection with people that has been outside of the social framework. Like we get invited to a lot of charity events and those aren't happening right now. But then I started thinking about it. I'm like, but were they actually, yeah, they were helping raise money for the charity, but it was more about like who was there and how beautiful did they look? What were they wearing? What was the cocktail of the night? You know, it was more kind of like a, it was pomp and circumstance as opposed to soulful connection. And I think that people are, are wanting to get more into that soul, soulful connection where they're one-on-one with other people, having conversations and learning more about who they are as opposed to all the distractions that we've had in the past. So I'm all for it. I think it's going to be fun. And I think it's, it's a change to the way we viewed ourselves in social frameworks, you know? Mm-hmm. So time will tell, I guess. It will. It will. I want to thank you so much for spending time with me today. Do you have anything else like that's burning that you would want to share with this audience about how you could advocate for mindfulness or even how like you think that we should make love go viral? Like the whole premise of this, this community is that, and it's kind of funny. So my daughter came up with the name and the whole premise was that we think it's so valuable and important that you start with yourself. You have to love yourself first Mm -hmm. and then that love will then affect others. So she was the one who's like, why don't we try to make love go viral? This is when she was was seven or eight. So yeah. Like what are your thoughts? Like how do you want to make love go viral? I'm all about, I love is, I think my main thing in life, I want to give love and to be loved. And so, um, I, I, can help love go viral through loving, love, loving kindness and compassion-based meditations, human connection, conversation. Um, I think one of the things that I love most about meditation and mindfulness is this idea of seeking the joy of being alive, mm, to be present, that. to be, to suck all the goodness up and to feel it, to feel the love, and to give the love. And so um, to me, meditation and mindfulness and loving kindness is, is all this practice of sharing all of that love. So um, for anyone who has questions on um, how to incorporate meditation and mindfulness into your workplace, curious about loving, loving kindness meditations, you should definitely reach out to me. Um, at woodhallwellness.com. Follow me on my Instagram, woodhallwellness, and shoot me a DM. And we can work together, all of us, you, me. I love it. I love it. And we're going to we're gonna convince you to do um, something on the app, the Live Pocket Coach. I think that we need a med- like a meditation from you. You should do a loving kindness meditation. I'm, I'm hitting you up. Okay. I, I would love to. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time and for everything that you shared. I, I know that I can tell from our very first conversation that this comes out of your pores. So we're on the same page and I hope that all the CEOs see this and they just... <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I agree. I love it. Well, have a good day and thanks for being on the show. Thank you. You too. 
Thank you so much for joining the conversation today. I love Molly's vision of a mindful world where work and humanity coexist. You can find Molly at woodholewellness.com and on Instagram at woodholewellness. As always, please subscribe, leave a review, and don't forget to share with your friends. We are always interested in content that uplifts, so if you have ideas, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at dearlive at loveisviral.com. You can also find us on Instagram at loveisviral.media or visit our website at loveisviral.com. Apple users, don't forget to give the Live Pocket Coach a try by downloading it for free for seven days.